Hey, this is Stu at Bitcoin Fi, the cross section between financial independence and crypto. And today I have a guest on, Grayson Sharp. And I'm going to let him introduce himself today. Welcome to the show, Grayson. Mr. Stu, what a privilege. Hello, everyone. Yeah, welcome. We're glad to have you. And, you know, I'm going to let you give some background, but similar to all of my other previous guests, we met on LinkedIn. You were giving away some Litecoin, $5 of Litecoin, basically saying like, <laughs> hey, crypto is cool. Let's use it. Send me your wallet in the comments and I'll send you $5 in Litecoin. And I was like, hey, this guy's giving out Litecoin. I'm going to put my wallet address in there. And <laughs> that's that's kind of how we met. So uh, we started talking since then. And you have a kind of a different area of knowledge and expertise. So anyway, let's uh, let's go from there. What, what are you all about? Yeah, that is awesome. That brings me back to the days actually when I first discovered cryptocurrency, more or less as it, it was an experiment. I was curious to see how many people would comment and who were capable of sending an LTC address. <laughs> so my whole story, I would say it started early January of 2021. I finished reading The Richest Man in Babylon and there was actually a particular part that stood out to me. And I quote, gold laboreth diligently and contentedly for the wise owner who finds for it profitable employment, multiplying even as the flocks of the field. The author goes on to state as the year pass, it referring to gold multiplies itself in surprising fashion. So it made me question what investment in recent days has multiplied itself in surprising fashion? And the first answer I thought of was cryptocurrency. But why was this the case? Why did cryptocurrency exist? What does it even do? And what functionality would it serve our world? And to be honest, these are all questions I had. So instead of buying right away via Robinhood, since that was the easiest format to purchase, I begin to read and asking those questions. You know, Warren Buffett once stated, never invest in a business you cannot understand. So my question to everyone is this, if you want to see gold multiply itself in surprising fashion, why not begin to read about cryptocurrency and arguably some of the biggest, most hyped assets of this past decade? It's obviously, it's crazy, right? The, the price action, it's use case, it's, you know, how, how much it's getting adopted. That's pretty cool. You're, you're going back to that Richest Man in Babylon book. I mean, that's kind of an oldie but a goodie finance book. Um, I've only read half of it. I, I meant to finish it one day, but I uh, never got back to it. And obviously he's talking about gold. And I think in the context of that book, maybe it's like, you know, lending your gold out, giving your money a job basically, right? And it's referring to this multiplication, this uh, compound interest. So, but you're right. Like as an asset class, nothing has beat crypto really in the last decade. So pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. So that's where my interest sparked. And then I think soon after I was like, well, I, I'm a big lover of LTC Litecoin. I think it's a great alternative coin. I was newer to the industry. So I was like, man we have to get Mr. Stu some LTC. So I'm happy you <laughs> and put your address. And that's where our friendship started, I would say. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I wish more people would, uh, you know, give me Litecoin and different cryptos. But <laughs> anyway, so I am curious then. I mean, I will say, you know, the name of the show is Bitcoin Fi. And I kind of did the same thing. You know, I, I've shared my background a little bit over the podcast. Um, getting in in 2017, I thought I'm too late for Bitcoin. I'll go Ethereum. But now the more that I've studied it in 2021 into this year, you know, the more convinced I am that kind of Bitcoin is the thing. At least there's Bitcoin and there's everything else. So in my mind, there's like two things you have to understand. There's, you know, two roads you can go down to make money in crypto. Either probably just buy and hold Bitcoin or side two is get into some of these alternative coins and DeFi and NFTs we're going to talk about as well. So I guess, how do you decide what altcoins are good and what you're going to be interested in? And, and is there any particular reason why maybe you looked past Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm very selective with which crypto assets I invest in. How I started was with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. These were the three main assets that I first and foremost had to grasp. And I think they are long-term players without a doubt, some of the original cryptocurrencies. And then the, the longer you're in the ecosystem, I would say the more natural it feels to kind of diversify and to continue on the road of discovering. And a fascinating slash fun way for me to discover new opportunities within the crypto space is actually via coinmarketcap.com. And I'll give an example of this. I was scrolling through the top 100 coins based on market cap, and I believe at the time it was around 50th or so, I came across the Helium network. And once again, it goes back to asking question. It's like, what Helium? That's such a unique name. And you click on it, you read about it, you go to its official website and you start asking questions. And then you just absolutely fall in love with the project. And so at the time I was working at Boostability, a company based in Lehigh, Utah, and my coworker and I just absolutely fell in love with Helium. You know, we did so much research. We looked up YouTube videos, tutorials, how to set up a miner, and come to find out it's a network that's ever so evolving. It's growing like crazy. People are installing miners left and right. Your neighbors may have a Helium miner set up at their house. It's connected to Wi-Fi. And it's done via long-fi technology where IoT devices can connect to this network and it's ever so growing. And so I just fell in love with that philosophy. And I see that as a long-term project. And so you start doing research and I actually have a few miners being shipped. And so that didn't come off right out, you know, right off the bat. It, it took time to find those, you know, quote unquote altcoins or those other crypto assets or other opportunities within the space, right? For me, it's all about asking questions. And then if it's a legitimate project backed up with a good founding team, I think that's where a lot of the opportunity is. Yeah, for sure. I don't know anything about Helium, but I have seen these miners. They almost look like antennas, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and preferably you set up these miners on your rooftop because it's, it's a lot more effective if it's placed outside without interference by any windows or walls. And 
you get more rewards. And so there's all of this complexity involved with how you set up a miner and it makes you intrigued about the installation setup. But then you start asking questions about that. How can I get the biggest ROI, you know? <laughs> and so crypto, in my opinion, is very much a rabbit hole because there's all of these intricate discoveries that you can find. And it's, it's fun, in my opinion. It's, I think it's the next frontier of investing slash opportunity in terms of finance and, you know, generational wealth change. Yeah, so let's just go down the helium rabbit hole just a little bit. What is, okay. what is it for? What problem is it trying to solve? Like, what's the use case? Yeah, so imagine you have a dog, Coco, and it didn't have a collar, and Coco gets lost, right? You're like, man, kids, you know, I, I hate to say it, but we lost Coco. You guys don't have a dog anymore. That, that's, that, <laughs> that's a terrible story. But it, theoretically, right? via the helium network you can have iot devices such as a wireless dog collar and if your dog is out and about and your dog does get lost for whatever reason if it had if it had that collar and it was connected to the helium network you know it's small devices such as a wireless collar that can transmit data uh, it would be linked up to the helium network and you would be able to spot your dog, hopefully. So I know the use cases are a lot of agricultural use cases, like, you know, humidity meters or temperature meters, et cetera, parking meters, right? Small transmittable devices that need to transmit data of some sort. The Helium Network empowers that. So it's trying to grow the IoT community for, for such devices, if that makes sense. And yeah. so what they're doing is they're, incentiv they're incentivizing people to deploy their own machines, which would then further and expand the network. Okay, and so then you get rewarded in their token. HNT, or, yeah, their native, yeah. their native token, correct. Okay, for being part of the network, basically. Yeah, I believe via Binance.us, at least here in the US, that's how people then in return sell HNT for USD, thus making a profit. At least here in the Salt Lake area, you can see local miners earn anywhere from 60 USD to 1,000 USD per hotspot they deploy per month. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, you know, obviously, if anyone has any questions, we're going to have your info in the show notes and they can reach out. But that's pretty interesting because I've seen posts about it on Facebook in a few different spots, but I never really decided to look into it for some reason but um anyway <laughs> that's pretty interesting yeah, so let's and, and so that, that's a that's a long-winded answer of saying man i would say start with the basics bitcoin ethereum litecoin whatever it may be right a strong cryptocurrency really understand those fundamentals first and then naturally what will happen is you'll begin asking even more questions you'll find resources like coinmarketcap.com which then you can find out even more projects out there based on, you know, global market cap. And so it's, it's just a, all in all, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down to. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. So I guess um, one of the bigger reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about DeFi or decentralized finance. And I guess we should start by defining it. My understanding of it, is we have traditional finance, which is banks. You know, they do loans, 
And so you have a lender and you have a, a borrower and you know, the lender makes money off the borrower, but you also might borrow money to invest and make money that way. So anyway, there's all this, um, that's basically the economy. It's just a bunch of borrowing and lending and trying to earn a yield and trying to buy investments in, in different ways, arbitrage, yeah, yeah. interest rates and whatever. But this is doing it with digital assets in a decentralized way where there's no middleman bank, but it's done through a protocol, right? So is that a good explanation? Would you add anything to that? Yeah, that's a great explanation, in my opinion. I view DeFi as the next frontier of finance in terms of saving manpower, because how many times do you go to the bank to either deposit or withdraw cash or for simple mundane tasks, and it requires an intermediary, right? A bank teller, someone there to help assist with financial needs. When in reality, we are capable of doing that ourselves. If there is an efficient, certified way of doing so, why not save that manpower so those people in return could pursue their life's mission, do what they want. I feel like there's too much talent tied up within the financial field, blatantly speaking. I feel like there's a lot of talent that could be spent otherwhere. Okay, so I guess that, that's the basic understanding I have. And, and I think there's more applications for DeFi, but lending and borrowing is one of the main ones, right? Yeah, liquidity pools are huge. So you can deposit a certain asset or certain funds into what's called a liquidity pool. And DeFi protocols are composed of numerous liquidity pools. And that's how they have TVL, total value locked. Reputable DeFi protocols have a high TVL, total value locked. And to me, that's a great way to see how trustworthy it is. But there are hundreds of protocols, services, or DeFi-based business models. There's so many different protocols out there. But in fact, Stu, it might be best if I just read a little snippet on what DeFi is. And then maybe we can get into the pros of it slash the cons okay so like you said right and i i took this from for those who are interested in really diving deep into DeFi, the world economic forum released an extensive white paper on this topic june of 2021 and they say the proponents of DeFi can address challenges within the traditional financial system open source technology economic rewards programmable smart contracts and decentralized governance might offer greater efficiencies, opportunities for inclusion, rapid innovation, and entirely new financial service arrangements. That's a part of the executive summary from the World Economic Forum. So in essence, there's a lot of cool opportunities that are on the horizon that's a result from DeFi. Okay, so just to recap, liquidity pool is basically, what is it? It's basically um, people that are looking to lend out money, right? Yeah, they lend out money, correct. So what happens is you deposit assets into a liquidity pool, and then people who need to access assets from that particular liquidity pool, there's obviously a small transaction fee. 
Okay. That transaction fee, instead of that going to the intermediary, such as a bank or institution, it goes to the person who has deposited into that liquidity pool. If okay, that so makes it goes sense. to the lender. It goes to the lender, correct. Correct. So the, the theory there is the more you deposit into a certain liquidity pool, the more trading fees you'll get from transactions. And that goes straight to the lender. There's no middleman. So it's a self-sustaining liquidity pool, if that makes sense. Okay. And so when you say total value locked, what is that exactly? Is that like how much is in the liquidity pool or how much is borrowed against it? What, what is that number? Yeah, correct. So the TVL, it varies, it changes, but obviously the more value that is locked into a certain liquidity pool, the less you get back as a lender. Okay, so the bigger it gets, the safer it gets in a way? So you get a lower return? People view it that way, correct. Okay, so there's bigger opportunity with the smaller, I guess, DeFi protocol that's got a smaller total value lock because it's less proven, right? Correct, correct. Now, there are cons to be on the lookout for right? Okay. Ranging from financial to technical to operational to legal compliance, there are a ton of risks. So for example, at times you may find it impossible to withdraw liquidity from a certain pool. There is something called impermanent loss, which should not be overlooked. Impermanent loss might be a little bit too confusing to explain on here, but just remember that impermanent loss for the most part is a risk of liquidity pools. There's also transaction or smart contract risks, oracle risks, you know, future forks or key management changes, governance mechanisms, along with fraud and market manipulation. These are all things to be sensitive about. They are real, they are cons, something that's ever growing. So the lesson here is that it's important to DYOR, do your own research, because there are hundreds of DeFi protocols services or business models, it's important to figure out which one you want to get involved with. In fact, if you type in the URL vfat.tools, vfat.tools, you will find hundreds of DeFi services on a plethora of different blockchains. Okay, well, yeah, this is crazy. Um, and I know that there have been some hacks or basically some bugs that have been exploited in the smart contracts that are governing the liquidity pools, right? Yeah, correct. So that's always a risk. And this is not traditional finance. There's no FDIC insurance. So you can lose pretty much everything, right? Correct. But at the same time, what I really wanted to know is well, there's this big risk because there's no insurance. There's no consumer protection laws all that. So you have huge downside risk of 100% loss, total <laughs> loss, but you also have huge upside risk. What are some of the interest rates that you might see in some of these DeFi protocols? I mean, I know it's a spectrum depending on which protocol you go with, but what, what's typical? What do you see? Uh, the reason why I laugh is because sometimes the yields are unbelievable. Typically speaking, you'll see APY range from 4% to all the way up to 60%. In riskier cases, that APY can shoot up to 1,000%, believe it or not. There's auto compounding protocols where it does 
the behind the scenes work for you and it auto compounds your returns for you. Obviously with the higher APY typically comes with more risk, right? So it's all about going back to the fundamentals doing research because some coins that you may end up staking or putting into the liquidity pool may inevitably be riskier and they may drop completely, right? There may be a rug pull where that meme coin or that particular altcoin may go down a lot and its base value doesn't compare with the APY you're receiving. So it's pointless. Okay. So, and when you say rug pull, that's basically when there's like a crypto project. There was one first Netflix's show called Squid Game. It was not affiliated with the show. They made this crypto because Squid Game was so popular the world over. Um, <laughs> the value yeah. shot up huge. And then the people that made the token basically dumped their holdings and everyone lost a bunch of money except for the people that were there that started pretty much. So that's a, that's a yeah. rug pull, right? Absolutely. Everyone just got scammed. <laughs> they so, were promised high returns. It was ended up being terrible for everyone. Yeah, and I'll I'll post a link if you're uh, you know if anyone's interested to to learn more about the history of that. But that's just one example of a rug pull. They're not like rampant, but they do happen every once in a while. And I guess one of my main questions. So you said like four to sixty percent is pretty typical in a DeFi protocol. That's kind of the rates that you can earn. What sets the rates? I mean, it's set by the protocol, right? It's set by the smart contracts. One thing I think I've noticed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the rates can change, you know, based on sentiment. I guess what I'm curious is two things is what changes the rates and how often do they change? And I think the answer to number two is they can change by the minute or by the hour, right? Unlike, yeah. unlike a bank that's going to, you know, this month our mortgage rates are 3.6. Next week they're 3.75, right? Um, these rates change around the clock. Is that right? Yeah, so do the rewards, right? Um, I, I think a lot of it is based on TVL, the total value locked. But okay. technically speaking, that is a great question. When it comes to the fine, gritty details, I'm not sure, to be honest, what changes the APY drastically, right? Because it could be 10% this week. But next week, it gets dropped down to 5%. I think the more value that's locked into that certain liquidity pool or smart contract, the less of an APY you'll get. It's from personal experience. Okay. And I guess with a smaller coin, it's easier to manipulate. It's more sentiment-driven or even meme-driven, right? Um, so there's more pump-and-dump schemes. It could be people on Discord or Telegram just in these groups or Wall Street bets that are just, okay, let's go up to this one this week, right? Yeah, correct. One of my favorite DeFi projects is actually called beefy.finance. And if you type it into your URL, B-E-E-F-Y.finance, it will show up. But it's a decentralized multi-chain yield optimizer platform that allows its users to earn compound interest on their crypto holdings. They have a native governance token called Beefy, quote, B-I-F-I, that should not be overlooked. I love this because it can actually connect you to 
different blockchains ranging from Phantom to Avalanche to all of these certain blockchains that have their own liquidity pools. Let me pull up their website real quick. So different liquidity pools, I guess you're saying they're built on different blockchains. So, you know, we know Ethereum, a lot of things are built on Ethereum, but we have Solana, Cardano, um, Polkadot. There's these other altcoins, right, that are kind of like Ethereum competitors. So when you're saying Beefy is a cross-chain, they're basically looking at all of these other protocols and you have a buffet of different blockchains to choose from, right? Yeah, that's a great way to explain it. A buffet of hundreds of liquidity pools. It's amazing because they do all of the behind the scenes work for you, right? Right then and there, you can actually see the APY, the TVL, total value locked. So for example, within beefy.finance, you can specify which blockchain you choose. You can specify the types of liquidity pools, right? You can stake single assets so it's less riskier and earn a great APY off that, you know? You can stake WPTC, uh, wrapped Ethereum, wrapped Bitcoin, and earn a little bit of an APY. Okay. And we're not going to get too deep into wrapped anything, but when you say wrapped Bitcoin or wrapped Ethereum, it's pretty much the same thing as Bitcoin or Ethereum. You're just making it compatible with DeFi, right? So that's what they call it wrapped. Yeah, correct. So in this case, if you're interacting with the liquidity pool on Phantom and it requires you to deposit Bitcoin, because it's a whole separate blockchain outside of Bitcoin, it's the Phantom blockchain, you need to wrap that BTC and it becomes WBTC, specifically for the Phantom network. Okay, this is a concept that I'm still struggling with, but you're basically taking Bitcoin and you're wrapping it in a certain way so that it can go into this other protocol. Imagine protocols being their own islands, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Phantom, Harmony. Imagine them as islands. To get assets from one island to another, you need a bridge. And upon walking over that bridge, that asset becomes something else. It becomes WBTC because it needs to be compatible with that certain island. I don't know if okay. that's a great analogy. <laughs> well, I guess maybe to, to build on that analogy, if you're going to go from one island to another, I guess uh, let's say that all these islands have way different cultures. And maybe it's yeah. a good idea that while you're sitting on the plane or the train or the boat, that you read up on those cultures and can kind of speak their language and their traditions and what's important to those different sets of people. And uh, once you get over there, then you fit in a little bit better instead of just being this crazy outsider. Kind of like that. that is, yeah, that is so true, true. I, if you think about it modern day, right? There's so many languages, so many countries. It's the same thing with blockchain islands. <laughs> you hop from one island to another and all of a sudden it's a completely different programming language. And so as a right. developer, you need to be picky with which blockchain you're developing on. And that's why we're seeing a ton of grants getting rolled out from all of these blockchains, Harmony, uh, Phantom. I mean, there are so many 
the ICP network, right? They're, they're trying to attract all of these developers because each blockchain has its own culture, has its own language, and they want the talent of all of these developers, you know? So each island is growing in their own ways. Okay. Okay, this is starting to make more sense to me. You know, I'm learning uh, as I go because I kind of know high level and I think we're getting a little bit deeper here. So um, give me an idea of what what coins like DeFi protocols also have like DeFi tokens, right? So what are some good like DeFi protocols? I think one of the ones I know is Compound. You know, it's pretty prominent on Coinbase, I think. Yeah. What are some other ones that are pretty well known? I know Urine Finance is quite a popular one. I am completely biased and totally for beefy dot finance. I think they are a great yield optimizer in terms of figuring out what the current best DeFi opportunities are out there for a plethora of different blockchains. So I think it's your all-in-one-stop station. So I'm a big fan of beefy.finance personally. Okay. But you mentioned uh, Yearn Finance. We, we talked about Compound. Um, Phantom is one then? Phantom is a network. Okay. Yeah. Is, is, is Aave DeFi? Yes, correct. Okay. Uh, Uniswap, right? That's DeFi. Yeah, arguably... The, the most well-known DeFi protocol was Uniswap when that first came out on the Ethereum network. Correct. That's a big DeFi application. Okay. Okay, yeah. So you'll see a few of these, like, their tokens trading on Coinbase, and you're not doing DeFi at that point. But, uh, but anyway, they still have, like, these governance tokens. So I don't know if you want to talk about the governance tokens associated, if you have any commentary there. Yeah, governance tokens are important because it incentivizes users or people like you and I to use that certain application. For example, PancakeSwap, that's based on the Binance Smart Chain, but they have their governance token of what's called CAKE, C-A-K-E. And in my opinion, these were instilled to incentivize people like you and I to access their protocols to input our liquidity, right? Because all these protocols are in a way competing with each other. They want a higher TVL, they want a higher total value locked. And so it's in essence, you know, a long-winded answer to say these governance tokens are a way to incentivize people to use that certain application. Is it like by lowering fees or how, what's the incentive? Sometimes it can be that where lower fees are instilled, but mostly in rewards, because when you allocate a certain amount of assets into liquidity pools or, in, or into the application, you get rewarded generically with that native token. So whatever APY is popping up, you'll get rewarded in that token. Okay. So, so give me a practical example of that. Like if I go to pancake swap and I buy cake, their token, I can put that in a liquidity pool and I'll earn more cake. Correct. That how it works. Okay. But, but, and I will earn more if I get it in cake, but can I also put wrapped Bitcoin into pancake swap and do I earn more Bitcoin or do I earn more cake? 
or like how does that work can i earn different things than what's in the liquidity yeah pool? the the options are limitless you you have to yeah the options are limitless it could be you can earn wbtc back well it, it depends on the protocol i guess um yeah. because their reward mechanisms are all different but a lot of the times they reward you back in their native token Okay, so they usually will reward you back in the native token, but sometimes you can get it into a different token? Correct. And that's okay. what beefy.finance tries to do, is it auto compounds that token and that token alone, especially for single asset vaults. So it all depends on the liquidity pool. Okay, so what you're saying is if you, um, if you go to beefy finance and, and you have Bitcoin, you can put that into a liquidity pool, but you're gonna earn beefy? instead of bitcoin you'll you'll earn so wrapped btc you will earn wp btc back okay okay yeah it's it's a little bit confusing but i guess what i'm trying to say is the reward mechanisms are different and sometimes they reward you with the token you've staked or other times they reward you with the token with their native token Okay. Okay. Um, and you mentioned there's this auto compounding. So with traditional finance, if I bought like a dividend stock like Coca-Cola and they're paying me a 5% dividend for owning Coca-Cola, I can set up what's called a dividend reinvestment plan. And it will take that 5% earning that I get and it will just buy more Coca-Cola stock for me. So that's kind of like the auto compound feature you're talking about with uh, DeFi. Correct. That's 100% the case. Yeah. Okay. In terms of beefy.finance, they do all of that auto compounding for you. Okay, cool. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. So I know you like beefy. There's, there's a whole lot to choose from there, but uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm no master or pro with DeFi, so maybe we uh, start getting into NFTs. I'll actually say one last thing about DeFi. Um, okay. If you have Bitcoin and you're a Bitcoin maximalist, hold on to your BTC. Now, what I'm about to say is biased because I actually work day in and day out for an organization that's based on the ICP blockchain. But what's happening is the ICP blockchain or the Internet Computer Protocol will be extended to add smart contracts to Bitcoin. An application of chain key cryptography will give each canister, aka smart contract, their own Bitcoin public key thus directly integrating with the internet computer blockchain with the Bitcoin network. In particular, smart contracts on the internet computer will be able to hold, send, and receive their own Bitcoin, which is huge. That means if you hold BTC, there is no need to bridge or to wrap that in any shape, way, or form you can directly send that to a contract on the internet computer into a DeFi contract, and thus getting into DeFi with just your Bitcoin. Now that's on the horizon for the ICP blockchain that's being built as we speak. But I say that to show the opportunities of future DeFi in terms of BTC. You can use your Bitcoin for future DeFi applications. Yeah, so to wrap up on DeFi, what you're saying is, I mean, and we, we actually had a, 
a call a while ago. We were trying to talk to someone else on LinkedIn and explain a little bit more about this, but it's complicated. If you are doing stuff with beefy finance or, or any of these DeFi applications and liquidity pools, like you're probably pretty tech savvy and you probably, you know more than I do, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as the Bitcoin Fi podcast host, I guess, you know, and I, I'm kind of in the rabbit hole, but I'm just saying like anyone that's already doing this is a lot more advanced, we'll say. But what you're saying is it's about to get easier with ICP and that's a token, but it's also an acronym for Internet Computer Protocol. Correct. Um, so yeah, anyway, basically Internet Computer Protocol is going to take out this step that you have to do to wrap your Bitcoin. I don't know. I think we talked about it, but it's, it's a little bit of like a process to get your Bitcoin wrapped. I mean, I don't even know what's all involved, but it's, it's just uh, another level of complexity that's going to be erased and it's going to make DeFi more accessible to everybody, especially those that are just basically holding Bitcoin and Ethereum, because you're not going to have to do anything. And then all of a sudden you have access to, to DeFi if you want through ICP, right? Correct. And really the whole appeal is these outlandish returns. Basically, it's like free markets, right? I mean, with traditional finance and central banks and, uh, you know, just even local banks and credit unions and stuff, everything is kind of set by like the Federal Reserve. Everything is set by, I mean, a little bit of supply and demand, like mortgage rates. You know, the Federal Reserve hasn't raised rates, but mortgage rates are still ticking up a little bit higher right now. So different things like that. But this is basically no intermediary with a chance to earn some pretty good yields on your existing coins. I mean, that's the whole appeal, right? Is, is how can I earn yield or how can I borrow? You know, let's say that you got into some coin, maybe it's obscure, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not, maybe it's gone up a thousand or 10,000 percent. And, and now you have $50,000 worth of this coin, but you don't want to sell it because either you believe in it or it'll mess up your taxes really bad or something <laughs> like that. Right but you don't even know what you're doing. And so as you get into this, like the appeal of DeFi is, well, okay, now I can get liquidity at, you know, we'll say 5%. And I can go borrow against that to do what I need to do, like to buy that car or to, you know, pay off a credit card or something like that, right? That's the appeal of DeFi is, it's basically like borrowing and lending in a free market with no intermediary. I, I hope I summed that up okay. Yeah, that is great. That is great in my opinion. Also, I would recommend on, you know, on an ending note of DeFi, those who are really interested in it, it would be worth checking up on the World Economic Forum and their white paper on DeFi. It's pretty extensive. It talks about the pros, the cons. It goes deep into DeFi. So that was a great read for me personally. Yeah, I'll link that in the show notes or the companion blog post if I ever write those anymore. Hey, thanks for listening to part one of this episode with Grayson Sharp. Really happy that he came on and explained a little bit more about DeFi, decentralized finance, and how it is an alternative right now to traditional finance. Whether or not it fully ever replaces traditional finance is yet to remain seen, but he brings up some interesting points about too much talent being tied up in the finance industry doing all these repetitive jobs that possibly could be done through protocols, through smart contracts. Of course, having a human touch 
can be valuable. So I understand that, but it's uh it's an interesting time that we're going through. And there is a part two to our interview about NFTs, just kind of a introductory level to NFTs. So we're going to get into that as well and grab yourself some free Bitcoin. Uh, you can get $10 of Bitcoin if you sign up with Swan Bitcoin or with Strike. And remember that financial independence is suitable and I'll be back with you soon.